Hi everybody, my name's Nick Beard. I'm the audiovisual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church, or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. place to keep them. Your inbox. You just keep them there because sometimes you review them. Somebody else, where do you keep your letters, notes? Shoebox. Isn't it crazy? Why? You know, shoeboxes. Somebody else in their closet. Yeah. There's something about letters, emails, texts, notes, something about certain ones that we get that we want them and we want to keep them. We want to reflect on them. And I'm considering these to be buried treasures. That's what they really are. They're buried treasures. And last night, I pulled out some of my buried treasures. I hadn't looked at these in years upon years. But the one place where I pulled one from was a shoebox underneath other shoeboxes in my closet. And when I pulled that shoebox out, it almost fell apart. It was so old. And I pulled out a letter. I don't even know if they make envelopes like this anymore. These are like the international envelopes that are sent from Europe. And the reality is, this was a letter written to me in 1988, so some 30 years ago. And the reality is, this came from a girl I was dating at that time who turned out to be my wife. And I kept this one. Do you know why? I kept this one because this was the first time she ever wrote on paper that she said, I love you. It took her way too long. I said it like the second date. Hey, I love you. She, months, those were words of gold to her. She just wasn't going to give away. Her other letters had ended uh, with all my love or love always. But she had never written, I love you. And on this one, there was a PSS, I love you. And I can remember where I was standing when I read that, looking out this one window and going, she loves me. This is awesome. This other letter was from my dad. In 1994, I was in the midst of transitioning careers and shifting very severely in a different direction that was was expected of me. I felt this call to go into full-time ministry. I'd been a sales guy, and I'd grown up in an Irish Catholic family. Irish Catholic families don't usually produce Protestant pastors. (laughs) Is that enough said? Okay. And to write my Irish Catholic mother whose last name was Henry, and my middle name is Henry, Brian Henry Wren, that I was deviating from the norm to that degree was a challenging thing to tell them. But then my dad wrote me a note on Tuesday, November 29th, 1994. I won't read it all to you. It's on letterhead. He was traveling in Canada. He was at a Holiday Inn in Canada, and he wrote it on Holiday Inn Stationery. And there's three words that mattered the most. It came from my father. Go for it. Go for it. We're behind you 100%. We need to know what our Father thinks of us. There's power. There's power in letters. This last letter comes, and it actually sits on my dresser. My mom died last December, and when you grieve the loss of a parent, that grief takes you a lot of places, a lot of places. This note came from my cousin's wife, who I barely connect with, but she wrote what my mom was like in a way that I needed to hear and I needed to carry me through my grief. Letters are buried treasures. That's what we have today, folks, in these seven letters. I don't know if you're holding them with that kind of weight, but as we've waded through them, I see them to be gold 
But the challenge is they need to be excavated and brought out and brought to life. And today I'm asking you to do this with Katie and I. Will you go on a journey with us right now? Will you, for the next 25 minutes, go on this journey where we do the following? We're actually going to read a little of the letters and specifically what a specific passage about what we're really called to. We're going to read then learn. So we're going to hear the letters. We're going to learn from the letters. And then we're going to actually go through a process of giving the opportunity to repent. And you'll hear why that's important. And then to leave here remembering who Christ is. These letters help me to remember the love my wife has for me, the support my dad has for me, who my mom was at her best. So will you go there today? If so, will you say amen? <laughs> amen. Katie's going to start taking us through the word. If you have uh, a Bible with you, if you want to pull that out, if you have one right in front of you, you can turn to page 1236. Uh, we're going to read from Revelation 1 together, and specifically verses 4, 5, and 6. So Revelation 1, 4, 5, and 6. Again, that's page 1236 if you've got a pew Bible in front of you. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and him who was and him who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. We can read a statement like this and it has some really tremendous power in it. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. But sometimes I have a hard time putting that in perspective. So, so try this. Did you know that God is bigger than a hippo. In the book of Job, in the Old Testament story of Job, when Job pleads with God, there's 39 chapters of Job pleading with God, would you show yourself to me? Would you reveal who you are? And then God comes in Job 40, he shows up, and, and what does he say? He says, have you considered the hippo? In your, in your search to find me, have you considered the hippo? It's, it's really it's not what I would expect with an, an almighty God revealing himself. So, so just for context, bear with me here. Hippos, I got all this from the internet, so I'm really confident of its veracity, okay? Hippos are 11 to 14 feet long. Massive. They're, there was a lot of confusion on this point, so I'm really not certain. Somewhere between 3,000 and 9,000 pounds. Bottom line, far more than a Honda Accord. You should be concerned. They can run up to 20 miles an hour. So now you have a Honda Accord barreling at you. Just stand on Farm Hill. You'll understand what it's like. They eat up to 80 pounds of grass every day. There's this really funny line. Jesus says, you know, God says in, in Job 40, consider the hippo. I made him. I made you. He eats grass. He can kill you. Watch out for vegetarians. Moral of the story, Job 40. They can hold their breath for up to five minutes. They're the third largest mammal on earth. In Africa, uh, they, they kill an average of about 500 people every year. In 2016, BBC declared them to be the deadliest mammal on the planet. And my personal favorite fact, when they sweat, they secrete a, a substance that is a natural sunscreen, something that would have been very helpful to me at certain points in my life. God says in Job 40, the hippo is a prime example of my handiwork. 
and only its creator can threaten it. This is where we start the letters to the churches, is with a perspective on the bigness of God where he says, I am the ruler of every king on earth. I am huge. Somehow bringing it down to a small enough size like a hippo helps me get a better picture of it. Jesus starts by saying, I'm massive, and I have something to say to you. If you go on to read in Revelation 1, there's a description of the person of Jesus Christ, how he looks. He's massive. He's, I mean, terrifying, just the amount of power and authority in this one being. And then we have verse 6, verses 5 and 6. To him, to this Jesus who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be the power and the glory forever and ever. Each of these cities was overcome, each of these seven cities was overcome by its own trouble. Some of it they had chosen, some of the trouble had just been thrown upon them. Each of these cities was overcome by a trouble. And Brian's about to tell us a little more specifically what those troubles were. However, before God ever addresses the trouble, he stands and he says, remember who I am. It's almost like he's leveling us in the eyes. Remember who I am. Remember how big I am. Remember I've got all the power and the authority. Okay, now let's talk about what's going on. Brian's going to share a little bit with us of specifically the challenges that each of these churches were facing. He's calling these churches to that verse, and he's calling them, he's calling us to that same verse. Did you hear that? He's calling those churches to that verse in the beginning of Revelation 1, and then it's the same with us now. I want you to see, if you go back to that verse, specifically the words that Katie said, he's calling them to be a kingdom and he's calling them to be priests. My Catholic upbringing has been good for my understanding of this. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom concept isn't one we talk about probably enough, but God is yearning for the kingdom of heaven to play out on earth right now. There'll be a day when he brings it all together. And this will be like heaven. But he's actually been calling us forever to be a priest who ushers in the kingdom of God. I don't know if you've bought into that personally. It's a huge concept. And what I know is this, the rubble of life, which is the trouble of life, buries us often from truly living that out. Isn't that true? And the rubble of life and the trouble of life, buries out the resurrection power of Christ. And so we don't end up being priests to usher in a kingdom. We just end up being people who are buried amongst the rubble and trouble. And what God is yearning to have happen in all of our lives is a resurrection or an excavation of that, an excavation so we can get out of the rubble, an excavation so that we can actually walk with this hippo-sized God. Does your God feel hippo-sized on Monday morning, or does your God feel a little small? And I think we need to be reminded of that. We will. We will by the end of today. But let's look at some of the rubble, because I want you to take one more look at the rubble that was impacting these churches to understand possibly the rubble that you're buried under. 
the church of Ephesus. And look how easy I've made this for you to remember. It's just simple, E-E-S-S. Ephesus is an E, Smyrna is an S, Pergamum is a P. Not that you'll fully remember all these, but I want you to just attach yourself to it, especially which church reminds you of really the rubble that you're buried under. Ephesus, their challenge was this. They so easily fell out of love with Christ. They just fell in love with other things. Anybody relate to that? I can. How about Smyrna? The suffering got them. The reality is suffering is part of the journey. How about Pergama? Pergama got pulled by the culture, and specifically, they got pulled into two very strong cultural powers, food and sex. It's interesting. We don't probably talk about this enough. Food is powerful, wasn't it, this weekend? So powerful. We ate at the Cheesecake Factory last night. That is a powerful place. (laughs) You shouldn't be allowed to eat at the Cheesecake Factory two days after Thanksgiving. They should shut it down. (laughs) I mean, it should be illegal to eat there. We were not famished, like had, or nor had fasted for two days, and then you go to the Cheesecake Factory. No, we were full, and we added to our fullness at the Cheesecake Factory. It should not be allowed. But food is an idol, folks, in our culture. It's, it's a dangerous idol. Food necessary, you bet. Food awesome, unbelievable. Pass the cranberry sauce. It's awesome, the taste that are on our tongue but it ends up mastering us and actually becomes an idol. It's such a slippery slope, isn't it? And how about sensuality? Woo! Some of the best stuff God ever gave us. But outside the bounds of how it's supposed to be used, it's deadly, literally, dangerous, so destructive in relationships, so destructive if misused in relationships, so destructive in relationships. It's a form of abuse. I mean, it's crazy. Something so good could be used in a way that could be so painful and destructive. Or mastering of us. Mastering. Mastering. That's what they were pulled into. Thyatara, teaching. Well, let's add a little of this to Jesus' teaching. They added other teachers' false teaching onto Jesus' true teaching. Sardis, these guys are just sleepy. They had had a long meal, big meal, and fell asleep. Not really. The reality was they were just sleepy. They fell asleep so much their city got attacked, believe it or not. They let their guard down. And when we let our guard down, Satan has a field day with that. Philadelphia, they had persecution against themselves as Christians, And they had a lot of other problems, like they had endless earthquakes that they moved out of their city and only came in to do work because natural disaster scared them enough to live in tents outside of their city. They had so many problems that that rubble held them back from living for and with Jesus. And then Laodicea. Either that stuff's made up or it's true. Historically, it says there's a hot spring six miles from Laodicea and there's a cold spring in the other six ways and they were so advanced that they piped in that water and when that water came in and hit Laodicea, it was what? Lukewarm, just like them because they had been so, so advanced. They lost, in essence, their love like Ephesus and became lukewarm. Can you relate to one of these? 
I feel sometimes it's better if we write them to ourselves and find our way in this. So join me in this as I wrote simple letters to PCC. And I want you to find which one relates to you. Dear PCC, I know you can easily be like Ephesus. You so easily fall out of love with me. I'm not as flashy as many of the things in your life. I know it's so easy to love money more than me. It seems to provide earthly security. I know that education in the Bay Area is most esteemed, along with being the most advanced. I know that it's easy to choose success over loyalty to me. And I know we get wrapped up, you get wrapped up in yourself during this age. But I would ask you to let me hold you and let me walk with you. Dear PCC, I see you're a lot like Smyrna. You have so much suffering in your life. You're afflicted with some chronic illness and some acute illness. You're really struggling. Some of you, from a poverty standpoint, for how poor you feel spiritually impoverished and don't think you're good enough, to financially you feel poor, surrounded by all the decadence of the Bay Area. I know you're suffering. And I know your reputation's been ruined by others or you've ruined your reputation and you don't lack value. But will you let me be the first word and the last word in your life and, let, and understand that there will be trouble and there will be suffering? Or dear PCC, I know you're a lot like Pergama. You're so easily pulled by the idols of food and sex. It tastes and feels so good. And when you're pressed and you're confused, it's so easy to run to them. But remember, they'll destroy you. They'll destroy your relationships. And will you remember that I love you and I actually have come to free you so that you can live into what I've made you to be? Or maybe it's like Thyatira. Dear PCC, you're a lot like Thyatira. You add these humanistic and scientific teaching to my word and you doubt me. Come back because I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Or maybe it's Sardis. Oh, PCC, you've gotten so sleepy. You think you know enough about me, but you're not on guard. You don't put up the shield that would protect you on a daily basis. You open yourselves up to too many things and you've left the deeds that are to be done unfinished. Will you let me be the Almighty again? The one who helps you fight off the attacks? The one who helps you finish those deeds? Or maybe it's like Philadelphia. Oh, PCC, I know you've been persecuted, that you can barely say my name outside of this building because otherwise you'll be put to shame or called a conservative or to be told that you hate certain people that you actually love. You'll be totally misunderstood and persecuted. But will you hold to my name? And I know when the fires come, you doubt if I'm there. And when the shootings just won't stop, you wonder why a God would allow that. But will you remember that I'm the living one and that I want to walk through all that with you and give you perspective? Or maybe it's finally Laodicea. Oh, PCC, at times you're so lukewarm. And these are the words from Laodicea, not mine. Sometimes, and I include myself in these letters. They're written to me also. Sometimes you're just wretched. <laughs> and it's pitiful how you act. Remember, these are his words written to the Laodicea. You seem blind and outright naked. Would you come back to me 
and be the one and let me be the one who teaches you how to be holy and live by the truth. I am the amen. Will you let me be that in your life? How do you get out of the rubble and the trouble? How do you excavate the seemingly powerless Jesus that's bigger than a hippo? Well, seven times he says this. Seven times in seven letters he says this. Repent. Turn away from that. Turn towards me. Katie's going to lead us through a process now to ponder that in our own lives. We are several months away from uh, our annual high school Mexico missions trip. Uh, and it's a fantastic trip on a number of levels. Uh, but there's, there's always a, a certain kind of student that shows up on this trip. They usually show up uh, around day two or three when nobody's really slept uh, and you're first noticing exhaustion. And a wake-up call happens at a ridiculously early hour and the wake-up crew starts going around and hitting the sides of tents. Hey, time to get up, time to get up, right? If you've ever attempted to wake up a sleep-deprived teenager, you can guess what I'm about to say, okay? So they start hitting the sides of tents and, and, there's, and there's a certain kind of student who will... Who will curl up in their sleeping bag and roll to the far end of the tent as far away from the door as they can possibly get. And as you're hitting the outside of the tent, you just hear, I'm awake. And you know it's a lie. Like, you know if you unzip that tent, there's no way they're coming out. They're just hitting snooze on you and trying to get away with this, right? So what usually happens is a wake-up crew will hit the side of the tent harder and say, time to get up. You're getting up now. If you don't get up, I may or may not be walking in that tent with ice water. I can guarantee you'll be awake, so help me God, right? There's this, there's this determination to wake them up and just saying that you're awake is not gonna cut it. We see the same kind of attitude from Jesus in these letters. It could be said like this. Repentance is a physical sport. It's not just a mental gymnastic. It's not just saying, oh, I feel bad. Sorry, Jesus, my bad. Whoops. It's, there's, there's a physicality to repentance that involves turning away from something and turning towards Christ. When Jesus warns us that he's coming, we have to take seriously these calls to repentance. He says, repent of your sin or I'll come to you suddenly. I gave her time to repent, Jesus says, but she didn't want to turn away. Wake up, he repeats, Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I'll come to you suddenly. The natural question in all of this would be, why repent? In, in maybe trivial seeming matters, but perhaps even more so in weighty and costly matters, why would we give something up? We find part of the answer in chapter 3, verse 19. Jesus says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So, therefore, Repent. In this verse, the Greek word for discipline actually translates to educate, train, and discipline. We find this idea all over scripture. Proverbs 3, Hebrews 12, Deuteronomy 8, 2 Samuel 7, Job 5, and 1 Corinthians 11, among others, all echo this theme of a loving and kind discipline. Psalm 94 actually goes so far as to say that the one who is disciplined by the Lord is blessed. That it is a a blessing to be under the training and education of God. Think about it like this. Many high school students I know are athletes uh, in, in some fashion. And uh, a scenario I often pose to them is, hey, what would, what would happen if you would walk out on, let's say, the football field on Monday for practice, and you said, coach, I know the playbook. 
And he goes, good. And you go, no, 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 I've, I've really got it. The whole thing's memorized. I know the plays inside and out. I know the footwork. I know the drills. I know every play for this, like, this Friday's game. I've got it. And he goes, good. And you go, so I was thinking it's not super necessary that we need to put on full pads in this heat. And it's kind of annoying when you make us run wind sprints until I want to vomit. And I just, I really feel like you drive us pretty hard and it doesn't seem fun. So I think I'm out for practice today. That would be ridiculous for a football player to say, I'm going to be a football player, but then refuse the education and training and discipline of practicing football. In the same fashion, it would be ridiculous for us as followers of Christ who aspire to be little Christs, like Christ, to refuse the education and training and discipline of repentance. We repent for the purpose of learning from God, of being transformed by him, and of drawing closer to him. So we might realize we need to wake up on some things. Maybe as Brian's reading that list, you, you, you feel something where you go, I, I, I probably need to turn from that. I'm, I'm pretty distracted by that. Or maybe you go, I just need to admit I've been overwhelmed by this. This isn't even my fault. I'm just overwhelmed by this. The word repent literally means to turn. It means you're going right and you go left. You're going east and you go west. It is a physical turning. God's also given us a practice called confession. Confess means to agree. It means if someone says, you're going east, you should go west, you say, you are right. I was wrong. Some of the hardest words in the English language, right? So the invitation today is that if in this moment there's, there is something that as Brian's reading that list, you're like, man, I really don't want to think about that. Man, that, I, I probably need to turn from that. That you actually lean into that physically and you do something physically today to confess and to repent. Maybe it's a conversation with someone. Maybe you just need to get something off your chest. Maybe it's a sin, maybe it's an overwhelming situation, and you just need community. Maybe it's physically getting on your knees. In the Old Testament, every time repenting came up, it was a physical sport. Uh, If you read Old Testament stories of confession and repentance, there's weeping and fasting and falling on your knees and then falling on your face, and there's dust and ashes. It's, It's very vivid. So maybe today you need to spend some time this afternoon physically repenting and physically confessing. Maybe it's an agreement during our closing song later today that you just need to agree with God that he's been trying to point you one direction and you've wanted to go the other. Uh, if, if you're visiting today or if you're new to church, uh, I'm actually really glad you're here today particularly because you get to see kind of how we handle family business. You get to see that we're called to these really, really high standards. Uh, it's, it's a little unnerving if you sit down and think about it. We're, we're called to expect suffering. <laughs> I don't know what other environment you walk into in life where they're like, eh, just expect suffering. Discern false teaching. You're supposed to know the difference between truth and lies. Don't be startled by earthquakes or fires or shootings. Don't be distracted by the culture's whims on food and sex. Wake up and live fully alive. We're actually volunteering to be disciplined and trained. And yet, none of this is by our own power. To circle back to, you know, chapter 1, verse 6, he has loved us, and he has freed us by his blood, and he has called us to be a kingdom and a priest, which means that everything that he convicts us of, he will see through to completion. If there is a conviction on your heart today, it's one that he will carry through. Don't try and do it on your own strength. It's one that he is saying, invite me in, 
I stand at the door and knock, invite me in, and let me walk this with you. We're going to close by spending some time in the characteristics of Christ and who he is. And just as we said at the beginning, so we want to say also at the end, that it's when you focus singularly on the person of Christ that we are then motivated towards repentance and not just the feeling that we ought to repent, but also the action of repentance as well. Brian's going to walk us through some of those characteristics. I want to give you a moment, though, to go back to those seven aspects, or excuse me, seven um, challenges of that church, if we could put that on the screen. Because I want you to really pick one out. Would you take 30 seconds? Is your rubble that you've easily fallen out of love, so Christ is buried in there? Or your rubble is suffering? Your rubble is, as Katie so well said, how you're pulled by the culture? Is it false teaching? Is it you've kind of lost your zeal and you're sleepy? Is it all the problems in life? You've lost heart, it's all the rubble. You're just lukewarm. Would you choose one? Maybe it's a simple prayer. God, forgive me, I'm lukewarm. God, the suffering has me. Mine's the affliction under suffering of fear, tired of living in fear, tired of letting fear have so much power. I've chosen the attribute that I'm going to have you do in a minute, the Almighty, which to me is the opposite of fear. So take a moment, I'll be quiet, pick yours, and then we'll finish up remembering Him. Remember what we're doing here. We started with me telling you a story about some buried treasures, letters that changed my life. Knowing the Father's love, understanding the right perspective, knowing that I'm loved. Those letters changed me, literally changed me. My dad's in town. I read a portion of that note in the first gathering. He sat right there. It was a gift to give that to him. When I walked out of that bedroom last night, I saw him in a whole different way once again. After reading that letter and watch, uh, hung out with my wife a little bit after that, and I didn't even tell her I'd read him, but I was like, wow, what history we have. This woman loves me and has put up with me. That was my realization last night, <laughs> you know? Um, so I've remembered my mom this weekend when you come through a holiday after grieving. I've come to see her in a different way in the right way, in the right way. We need to do the same thing with remembering what they wrote about Jesus here and claiming that and holding on to it and not being deterred by the lie or just all the rubble that buries the huge hippo. There are over 15 to 20 attributes or characteristics of Christ mentioned within the first chapter in the seven letters. I want us to go through them in these last two minutes. I want you to pick one and claim it and hold on to it because it's what you need to make Jesus come alive so that you can excavate him from the rubble so he can become, during this Advent season, once again, Emmanuel. The word Emmanuel, if you're new to that, means God with us. It only seems to show up in December. 
You never read it or see a sign for Emmanuel around July 5th, let alone September 3rd. But man, the word Emmanuel just starts to show up in December, doesn't it? It means God with us. I want you to hear the God who was with us and what they said about him in these first three chapters. And I want you to claim one and hold on to it this Advent season. See these as they go on the screen. They're also in your message notes. Jesus is the one who is, who was, and who is to come. Does that touch your soul? Jesus is the faithful and true witness. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Timely one, isn't it? Jesus is the one who loves us, who has freed us, and who has made us. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the Almighty. He is the Son of Man, the first and the last. He is the living one who holds the keys of death in Hades, who holds the seven stars, which is the leadership of the church, who walks among the seven gold lampstands, which walks amongst the church. That's the symbolism for that. He's the one who has the double-edged sword, symbolic of inserting into us and helping us understand in any situation truth. He is the one who is the son of God. He is the one who is holy and true. He is the amen. Bottom line, simply put, he is the amen. And he's called the amen in the seventh letter. He is the ruler of God's creation. He is the one who knows your good deeds and your bad deeds but accepts you by the blood of Christ. He's the one who knows your afflictions, whether they're chronic or they're acute. He knows your affliction of fear that you endlessly struggle with and sometimes can't kick. He knows your anxiety affliction. He knows. He knows your poverty, whether it's physical or whether it's spiritual. He knows where you live, not like I know where you live, I'm gonna get you kind of, I know where you live, but in I know where you live and I know what you're dealing with and I know it's hard. He's the one who understands your lack of love for him and your great love for him and he still loves you. He's the one who knows your faith at its best and at its worst. He's the one who knows your service you've done for him and the service you need to do for him and can give you the strength to do it. He's the one who has helped you persevere to this point and will continue to help you persevere if you allow him. He is the one who understands what you think of yourself and your reputation, understands how misrepresented you've been in your reputation by others, and actually has a reputation of you that you barely can accept of yourself. This is the great God. He's bigger than a hippo, but he's buried, and he needs to be excavated out of the rubble, and so would you pick one right now? Just pick one. Pick one that you will allow to be attached to your soul so you will allow him to be Emmanuel through this attribute. Pick one of those. Maybe flip through them slowly on the screen so they can see the others if they don't have a sheet. Raise your hand if you have yours. And if you don't, it's okay. Do you have yours? You got to. 
Otherwise, he remains in the rubble. And what my hope is this, that on Christmas Day, after five weeks of walking with him, you sit in your seat on Christmas Day at a gathering or at a family's house, and at one moment you remember, oh, he is the Almighty. It kind of makes you chuckle because you've carried me through. Or you have a softer moment where you weep over the fact that I'm that loved. Boy, I don't even love myself that much. Or you come to the point the day after Christmas, which can be a blue day for many, and you realize, I'm not alone. I am far from alone. I have this huge God that's with me. I don't know which one you need, but I probably need all those at one point in this journey along the way over the next five to six weeks. And so how will you hold it? I've been writing down Almighty on pieces of paper around me when they're near me, sometimes in a meeting, sometimes in my journal. I've been listening to songs that relate to the Almighty. I told some men, my word is Almighty. Will you talk to me about that and ask me if I'm living from the Almighty and not just from my own lack of power? Who will you tell tonight at a meal on the way out to the car? What will you do with it? You've got to do something different to get him out of the rubble. It's the season to celebrate him. Bow your heads, let's pray. Father in heaven, you are so good to us and we acknowledge today that you are larger than we allow you to be. And Lord, we acknowledge today uh, that you are the great amen that we can barely describe and we acknowledge today, God, that you have something for us that will actually free us and help us live into who we're made to be. And Lord, we remember all that goodness about you because you tell us in Romans that your kindness will lead us to repentance as opposed to repentance leading us to your kindness. Both are true, God, but one seems easier. Understanding how much you're for us leads us to repentance. So Lord, I ask for a blessing upon our people today, one of humility to lay down literally on the floor and confess, to cry out for their need. And then, God, uh, to walk with you and remember that you hold us in your hand and you walk amongst us with the attribute you've given us today. So we thank you for hippos and for this season and even for the rubble, God, that realizes how much we need you. And all God's people said, Thank you so much for listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We believe you're here for a reason, and we would love to connect with you more. Our campuses are located in Redwood City, California. You can find us online at wearepcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for We Are PCC.